Hey everyone, Reese here. Thanks for joining us for another show. And I hope this finds you healthy and safe, like I say every time. Uh, I hope you're socially distancing. I hope you're keeping your hands washed. I hope you're staying safe out there. And, uh, you know, as we do come back from this and the beaches start to open up, you know, let's abide by the rules so we can keep it going and, um, you know, get through this together. Um, one of the things that's come up for a lot of us in the ocean space, you know, a lot of us who care about the ocean and want to see it healthy is, is single use plastic. Um, as a result of COVID-19, we've seen in kind of a number of stories come out in the last couple of weeks around whether or not we should be using reusables. Uh, a couple of places have said they won't accept reusable coffee cups. Uh, grocery stores are going back to single use plastic bags. And a lot of the momentum that we've been building for years now is kind of stalling as a result of that. So to help us break this down, we have a friend who's an expert and he'll never admit to being an expert, but he is. He's been around the world working on this stuff from policy to end of life. And um, he really just kind of brings it. So my friend Michael Doshi is here from Algalita Marine Research, and he's going to break down a couple of stories that we're hearing out there and um, help us get through all this. Cool. Here's Doshi. Doshi, so stoked to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Reese. Stoked to be here. Where are you uh, calling in from? I'm calling in from Mar Vista, California, or as some people might call it, uh, Venice East. Yeah, Venice so, East. Ah, interesting. <laughs> Venice East. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, close to the beach. Um, it's a beautiful day out. Been able to go for a, a walk already today. After this, I'm going to go out for a bike ride, go down, check out the waves, but not actually go on the beach. You know, practicing uh, abiding by the rules of staying off the beaches here in LA County, but still need to see the waves. Yeah. It's been tough, man. You know, we're all really frothing and uh, I hear you. Have you been, have you stayed out of the water? Oh yeah, I've stayed out of the water. I'm a big proponent of trying to contribute to reducing uh, the flow of COVID-19 as much as I can. Yeah. yeah How man. about you? Yeah, same. I am, uh, I'm as dry as I've been in years and it's, okay. uh, it's killing me for sure. But uh, you know, it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah, I agree. And you know, you bring up COVID, it's obviously kind of like, the topic of the day, and it's something we're going to talk about today. Uh, but first, you're the director of partnerships at Algalita Marine Research and Education. Um, tell us, what is Algalita? What's your role all about? Absolutely. So Algalita, for those that aren't aware with the organization, has been around for over 20 years. And Captain Charles Moore is the founder of the organization. And many people listening to this, since they're ocean lovers, have probably heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patcher. More people know it of it as the Trash Island, which it actually isn't a full floating island of trash. What? You can go visit. It's more. Yeah. Yoshi, you, you're blowing my mind. Are surprised, uh, many people are surprised by that. It's more like a big, giant plastic suit. But Captain Charles Moore is the boat captain that discovered that on a sailing expedition coming back from from the Hawaiian Islands to California uh, 20 years ago. Uh, so we've been focused on plastic pollution research in the open ocean gyres since then and expanded our programmatic work into youth education about uh, for about the past decade, maybe a little more. And as the director of partnerships, my job is really to engage with as many different nonprofits, businesses, innovators, people that are working on solutions to plastic pollution, engage with as many of those stakeholders as I can to create more robust education programs from what they're working on to try to educate the next generation of stakeholders. 
That's awesome, man. I feel like uh, it's it's about time we've had you on the show. I mean, we've had <laughs> Hugo from Surface Against Sewage. We've had, um, you know, Kakua Hawaii. We've had Ethan on, Alex Weber. We've had Surfrider people, Air over at Five Gyres. Like, we've had a lot of our crew on, um, and now we finally get to have you on. And I, yeah, I love stoked. that you tap into that sort of energy of, like, building that coalition. I feel like a lot of the work that you do is about Hey, let's bring everyone together. Let's all be a part of this thing together and carry that stoke level. I mean, you did the youth summit recently. What, yeah. what was that like? So uh, that's a really good point, Reese. Is coalition building and working together. There's no one silver bullet solution to plastic pollution or any environmental issue, for that matter. And to work together in in, collab- in a collaborative manner isn't just good for, for adults to be doing, but if we want to create a succession plan for us, if we want to create the next generation of young people that are going to be working together into their adulthood, we need to show them that, that we can do it functionally as adults. And we can do it in a manner that's bringing different perspectives, people from different cultures and people from different backgrounds, whether that's fossil fuel extraction and then, and then ocean backgrounds. And, and that's what we were really doing in our International Youth Summit on Plastic Pollution that you were referring to, which was at the end of February. And it took place, this was uh, our 10th year doing it. It took place at the Ocean Institute in Dana Point. And we had over 120 young change makers from, I believe it was 10 countries this year in attendance. That's incredible. And we had yeah, it was rad, man. We had partners from around the world, uh, everywhere from Indonesia to the Philippines to the UK. And actually, all those people you listed earlier that were on the show, themselves or their organizations were involved in this year's Youth Summit, which was pretty that. rad. Yeah, so it's a, it's a way to bring youth together for almost like a three-day conference. Um, but it's, uh, more, it's more injected with Stoke than what you would get at an adult conference, so to speak. Uh, so I see you bringing up our screen there. Yeah, empowering complex, uh, embracing complex problems, empowering future leaders. And that's what we really try to do with all of our programming is take that deep dive into how do we empower these, these younger people to fully embrace the complexities and work on solutions moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I've got the uh, Algalita site up here. If anybody is interested who's listening and not watching, uh, algalita.org will, of course, link to it in the show notes. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's so cool that you go back to the origin sort of story with Captain Charles Moore and uh, of like kind of discovering the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And uh, I just love that you're taking something that can be really heavy and doshi, you particularly you bring a level of stoke. I like, I, I got to call that out ahead of time because everyone might be like, wait a second, this guy's talking about heavy problems, but he's got a smile on his face. I don't get it. But you just always bring that level of stoke. Is there anything else you want to share about what you do and how you approach your education? Any other sure. friends of yours who may, uh, you know, yeah, it's, I'm glad you <laughs> friends brought or that characters. Up. When, when, when we talk about solutions to plastic pollution, at Algalita, at least, and me personally, I really believe it's the story of people. People are the ones that are consuming these items that are, that are made of plastic or consuming uh, food that's in plastic packaging or whatever products they're consuming. And we all have our, our moment of awareness and that gets us involved in the, in the issue. And mine was through surfing, uh, paddling for a wave in Venice where I got hit in the face with a plastic food wrapper on, on a, it was a wind Do you remember what it was? Do you remember uh, what kind of wrapper it was? It's one of those things where my mind goes to a Snicker bars wrapper. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. 
And I think uh, my mind goes to that because it used to be my favorite candy bar. And I always just, that's why I kind of stuck in my, I was probably just hungry. Why wait? Um, I can't believe I just plugged Snickers <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, so anyways, I got, I got slapped. It was a little literal slap in the face wake up call to plastic pollution in the ocean. And when I got onto the beach, like many of us saw a, a trashed beach and, and on my way back to my car, all the way to my house, I just saw plastic, a trail of plastic going along the whole way. So I started researching plastic pollution. And the first images I would come across were trash beaches, uh, seabirds tangled up in six pack rings or albatross with their stomachs caught up with bottle caps and lighters inside of it. And I didn't really connect with that messaging. Sure, that stuff was super gnarly, and I, I wanted to, to help in the issue to protect animals. But uh, in, in regards to a messaging standpoint, I connect with messaging that's more fun, that's humorous, uh, that's more lively, and, and makes me want to get involved through that. So everybody has their different motivations. Some people are more motivated by, by anger and by fear. I'm more motivated by, by stoke and happiness and joy. So I said to myself, you know what? I wanna be involved in the solution in the way that I connect with the messaging. So I started an Instagram account called Gnarly Beach Cleaner where my mission is to spread awareness of plastic pollution through fun and positivity. So I'd go down to the beach with some buddies, create some fun videos, or at least what I thought was, was funny videos. It was fun for us. Yeah, skits and, and different photos and post that on social media and just try to connect with that niche, uh, that niche group of people that really want to be involved from a stoke level. And that, uh, that morphed into some, that was six years ago when I launched that, that morphed into different international products, uh, projects, sorry. Narnar, um, uh, -nar, the gnarly beach cleaning octopus <laughs> is my mascot. He's a, he's a about four foot tall stuffed octopus uh, that I, I did some fundraising and I created a, a uh, bigger than life passport for him, uh, which is more or less like a traveling pen pal book. So I can send them, ship them around the world to our Instagram community and remind people to stay stoked while they're working on solutions to plastic pollution and write in the passport a message to the next beachcomber or young change maker that it goes to. Um, and I think what's been cool about you doing that, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. I, I love the way that you've engaged people around the world and that you've taken the movement outside of the sort of traditional sort of coastal environments and what we all live in. Um, you know, you've gone to uh, the Philippines with this message, Indonesia, um, you know, Narnar has kind of traveled the world and, you know, gone to underserved communities and, and been a part of sort of the environmental justice movement at this point. So here's this like stuffed octopus, <laughs> you know, it's that so you, silly, you send man. around the world and it's, and it's, so it's really silly, silly, but it's also yeah. cool. Like I, I just, I like that, you know, that's your approach and you enable people to be a part of it. And you, you know, some, some people struggle with what they're, they rally about what they're against, but there's also, we need to have like, what are you for? And you're showing people like, Hey, you can be for this thing. You, need pot, you know, like you can be against plastic, but do it in a positive way. Here, here's what we can be for. I kind of, I, I just like that. I what are you cool, for? Man. I like that, man. I'm going to start using that. What are you for? Like, I can't is, claim yeah. credit for that. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. Fair enough. I can't remember who said it, but you know, we have to always think it's like, it's not just what, what are you against, but it's what do you stand for? Yeah. Um, so it's a good one. But so, you know, I think what's really interesting just to keep things moving along, um, you know, you've touched with these different people, touch on these different people around the world. You've really seen, I think in your experience, you've gone way beyond the beach cleaner stage to policy, um, all the way down to the waste picker level in developing countries. And so you have a breadth of knowledge that a lot of people in the space don't have and some experiences that a lot of people don't have, which I thought was interesting, especially in light of COVID-19. COVID-19 is, is really gnarly, uh, to, to use your terminology, your namesake. Yeah. Um, 
of course, human life is, you know, is what we value. And of course, it's important that we take the necessary precautions to protect ourselves. But at the same time, we don't want to see a complete regression in all of the progress we've been trying to make in plastic pollution and in fighting plastic pollution. And we want to, you know, make sure that the record is set straight around what is and or isn't safe. Because there have been a number of articles in the last few weeks, that, you know, I think uh, any of us have seen in the headlines or those of us on the plastic uh, marine debris uh, listserv, you know, there have been a ton of articles yeah. bombing around. Um, yeah. And so I thought we'd go through a couple of those articles real quick and you can give us your expert opinion about what you think there. How's that sound? That sounds great. And Reese, before we get into that, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you, say, you say expert opinion. And then I saw you post on something on, w, uh, on WSL Pure's um, Insta Stories last week saying we're having Doshi on, uh, expert on plastic pollution. And it's really interesting. And I just want to put this out there to all the young people listening. I don't have a background in environmental science. I don't have a background in, in plastic pollution prevention from a uh, accredited university. I was a marketing major. And Captain Charles Moore, who's deeply involved, even on a science level and chemistry level and, and research level in this movement, doesn't have those degrees either. And years ago, I asked him, so uh, are you a scientist? And he said to me, no, Doshi, I'm just a guy with a brain that wants to use it. So to all you young people out there looking for your path to get involved, I'm just a guy with the brain that wants to use it. You can say an expert, but really, I'm just the dude who, who wants to help in whatever way that he can. So I encourage you to, to continue on your mission however you see fit for yourself. So let's get into it, Reese. Yeah. I love that, Doshi. I love it. I'm just a guy with a half a brain that wants to try to help. So I don't know if that you know, allows me to still participate here. I Do I need it. a full brain? No, man, you're good. You're doing great. <laughs> All right. So first up, um, an article. There are a couple articles on this. There was an article out of Forbes, uh, as well as the LA Times. LA Times said, uh, the coronavirus brought back plastic bag madness. Let's make sure it's temporary. And that was an article from the Times editorial board. And then you have this article from Forbes around the amount of plastic waste is surging because of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, basically talking about how, you know, in, in light of everyone saying we need to make sure that we're not using too much uh, or we're not passing items back and forth, um, thinking about your reusable grocery bag or your reusable coffee cup as you go to get a coffee at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. Both of those uh, institutions said we're not taking reusable cups anymore. We'll still give you the discount for bringing the cup. Cool. Incentivize the behavior. But it's a risk to our employees and uh, it's a risk to our coffee shop. So what do you make of this, man? You know, like wh when, when you sit there and you look at this, you say, okay, we've all been working in the plastic movement to ban single use plastic bags and to, to do this work. And now all of a sudden this thing happens and it like stalls all of that progress and, or even puts us a few steps back. Yeah. Reese, that's a really good question. And getting into this, it's, this is such a great community to connect with the ocean community. I'm an ocean lover. I'm an avid surfer. And through being connected to the ocean community, that's how I got involved in plastic pollution uh, through five gyres, through surf rider, through heel the bay, through Algalita. And what I like to do when answering these types of questions is, is take a deeper dive into that more heavy swell that's, that's coming our way to not just just catch those surface level waves. So that's what I'm going to do with uh, some of our answers here, but in a very concise way. And it's so easy for us in the plastic pollution prevention movement historically 
to almost go to battle with the plastics industry tit for tat. Uh, my colleague, our colleague, Steve Wilson, and a good friend of mine uh, has said recently, it's almost like an addiction for us to do so, to get super agitated and super anxious about what the plastics industry is doing right now and basically acting as disaster capitalists and and for us to want to combat every little piece of messaging that they're saying and i want to remind people going into the rest of this conversation that fighting plastic pollution it's not a singular battle it is a very long war and it's not a sprint it's a marathon so this is just a temporary setback for what's happening right now. Looking at the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish within the plastic pollution prevention movement of moving towards reusable systems, uh, holding multinational corporations accountable for extended producer responsibility where they're actually in charge of owning the reusable items that we're consuming products out of, that's where we really need to keep our heads at in the much longer war. But to address what you're getting at in regards to the, the more of the tit for tat on the single use plastics, because it still is a big issue, don't get me wrong. I was on a webinar the other day with an epidemiologist from the CDC, and he was, he was pretty much saying that if you, look at, if you look at the amount of cases of people contracting the coronavirus, the main concern and the major way of contracting it is through respiratory droplets. So from person to person, not so much surface uh, transmission from right. touching, unless you're touching something and you don't wash your hands. So he was saying he personally, from his research and being a scientist is, and a doctor, is more concerned of being too close to the person in the grocery store and them not wearing a mask and you not wearing a mask. And then moving towards, uh, he gave an example of sitting at a restaurant, for example, sitting down to eat. Now, if you move towards something like a disposable plastic utensil, they might be giving it to you even in a disposable plastic pouch, almost like a spork pouch that you would get sure. at a stadium or at school. Now, think about that. If the, the waiter or the waitress, the, serv the server has touched that, they now set it on the table, now you're touching it and opening it, there's a good chance you're gonna grab the part that you're eating off of, which would be more higher stakes for surface transmission of the virus, versus if something is washed in a sanitary manner at the restaurant and it's reusable, they set it down on the table, you're most likely gonna grab it from the end you're supposed to be holding it from. So there's all these little minute details that are not portrayed in the media because that doesn't necessarily sell to people. People, what sells is the fear-based logic of thinking. And I, and I also strongly feel it's a major distraction tactic by the plastics industry of getting people up in arms about yeah. these, these battles. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on there? Because um, the plastics industry has been trying to use this, have they not? I mean, that's an another one of the stories that we have this week yeah. is around uh, the plastics industry has been asking for a bailout saying we need more money for recycling, which to yeah. me feels a little bit funny. It just yeah. it feels funny coming now. Yeah, Reese. And, and not only the bailout, but they're trying to use this in a way that's almost rolling back single-use plastic bag bans uh, or, or any type of single-use plastic ordinances that might be happening throughout different municipalities. And every state and every municipality is handling it differently. So in California here, for example, we had that single-use, uh, statewide single-use ban on, on uh, single-use plastic bags, uh, those flimsy plastic bags you get at the grocery store. Now that's, that's just rolled back for 60 days. 
Um, so it's a temporary rollback. Uh, but looking even larger at this billion dollar bailout you're referring to in regards to recycling, I mean, as taxpayers, is this something we should really be burdened with? Uh, to me, this is just another, another way of industry acting as a disaster capitalist, trying to get theirs first and foremost, and the profit over people is, is the term that we use out through many different movements. And the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act of 2020 addresses this from a perspective of where, why should we as taxpayers be having to pay for that type of bailout or improving those recycling systems? where it's the plastics industry and these multinational brands that are producing those packages that are leading to our massive waste issue. Why shouldn't, why don't they pay for it? So, so just to make sure that everyone's still with us, um, cause you know, it's easy for, you know, those of us who are in it, we're super knowledgeable of our sort of the different acts and whatever, cause these things can all sound kind of similar, right? So, um, <laughs> you've, you've got the plastics industry and we talk about that, we say, you know, it's really not just the man, the, the consumer packaged goods. It is the, the industry that is supplying them the plastic to make the products that they sell. So it's, it's your chemical, um, you know, manufacturers and oil companies, et cetera. Right. And so they're going to Congress saying we need funds to uh, create recycling infrastructure. This is super critical, which is ironic because they've been against that <laughs> seemingly yeah. for a long time. Um, but there have been some, some, there's been some progress and you know, the people powered movement that you're talking about, we now have this new act and legislation. You were there for the introduction of this bill, weren't you? Yeah, I was in DC. Tell, tell us a little Capitol. bit about it. Yeah, and uh, so I was on DC. Uh, I was in DC on Capitol Hill at the beginning of February to help introduce the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act of 2020, which is which is the first, I should say, uh, a historic and epic bill that's introducing plastic pollution prevention from this comprehensive of of a standpoint. And it's addressing everything from putting a moratorium on, so a hold on new petrochemical. Uh, facility build outs to produce plastic here in the US. It's and that's at real quick, sorry to interrupt, but that's yeah. because the industry, just to zoom out, the industry is seeing the writing on the wall that cars are maybe not going to be <laughs> around as we know them for a long time, right? They're like, okay, we're gonna lose some some fossil fuel consumption in electric cars coming up. So we're going to ramp in up renewable energy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Yeah. No, thanks for for breaking that down. And uh, so that that's a major part of it. Also, a major part of it is going on that extended producer responsibility that I was getting at earlier. What's that? Uh, so that is saying to to companies like, hey, we wanna we wanna consume the food. I wanna eat those tortilla chips that's in that package, but I don't wanna own the package. I don't wanna be responsible for that package. You're the producers of it. It's clear recycling isn't working. We're, we're currently working based on the materials you're creating that packaging out of and the infrastructure that's built to handle it, but most importantly, the mass amount that's being generated. So it's now the producer's responsibility to handle that. Now that's gonna have to be determined by the, or it's good, is it gonna be the brands or as restated earlier, is it gonna be these chemical companies that are actually producing the plastics? And, and to add to what you were saying right before this, Reese, was, those massive companies, some of those massive companies, let's look at the beverage companies that are, are part of that bailout. They're the ones that are in state by state fighting against bottle return schemes. 
which yeah. would create more of a circular economy for beverage bottles uh, to put in place on a statewide basis where there would right. be a certain amount of money that if some uh, consumer put the bottle in almost a reverse vending machine, they would get paid for. Uh, so it's, it's really it's this interesting dichotomy of they're saying they want more recycling, but at the same time, they're fighting against certain policy. Um, so the experience from being in, on Capitol Hill in D.C., it was one of the highlights of my career so far working in this movement, being able to interact with Senator Udall and Congressman Lowenthal, which are the two representatives that, that wrote and introduced this bill. And they reached out nationwide to so many stakeholders in, in, the, in not just the plastics movement from an NGO standpoint, but from a right. business standpoint as well, to try to get the best information they could together to craft uh, this comprehensive bill for the first time. So it was a really uh, awesome experience and it's just the beginning of it. What's the, is there a URL? Cause I'm forgetting it. I know we shared it when Surfrider sure. put it out. To, so I will link to it in the show notes for anyone. I think it's yeah. surfrider.org slash like break free from plastic act, but why don't we just, Whatever you're going to look through, I will say to, to this, uh, I, when you're looking at a bill of something of this scale, it's super dense and super heavy. So whatever link we post, uh, it will definitely be the cliff notes for you. So it'll be easy to read the bullet points of what the major points of the, the bill are. Um, one last thing I want to say on that, Reese, that you kind of dipped into earlier and regarding the environmental justice aspect of this. And if, for those of you that aren't familiar with the concept of environmental justice, it really is dealing with, those pe uh, dealing with communities of people that have systemically been suppressed by, by whether it's pollution, racism. Uh, just to give you an example, if you look at certain communities here in, in Los Angeles and Los Angeles County, we have one of the largest urban oil fields in America. Uh, some of these um, pump jacks in these uh, oil fossil fuel extraction points are less than 50 yards from somebody's home. It's and crazy. these are releasing toxic chemicals. So it's really adjusting it from that systemic approach. Uh, I'm sorry, not adjusting it, approaching solutions from that systemic approach. And the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act works in a lot of the environmental justice issues that we're seeing need to be addressed in, in plastic pollution prevention. And, and what's, what's interesting is, you know, it's a great segue because you brought it up in, you know, something that's happening right here in our backyard in Los Angeles. And yet this stuff happens all over the world. This is all very intricately connected, which brings us yeah. to kind of some of the final stories, uh, the final story of the week. Um, New York Times put out this article uh, about Jakarta. And I, I think this one's really going to hit home for you, knowing the work that you've done. I mean, I, um, I got to see you. We were in Indo together right yeah. before you were going to go um, over to Surabaya. And so um, I'm going to show you catching some waves, surfing <laughs> Uluwatu. Yeah, right so on. I'm going to show the New York Times article first. Okay. And then I'll get to, we have some photos from you. And so um, pulling up the New York Times article, this article is about Jakarta. And, you know, that's the main city in, in Indonesia. Um, you know, this is Jakarta's trash mountain. When people are desperate for jobs, they come here. And these are waste pickers. I mean, Dosh, can you give a little bit of background on what these people are doing in this context? And then we'll get to, you know, what you've also seen personally. For sure. So the concept of a waste picker, uh, many people who are going to be listening to this podcast, I'm assuming are going to be here in the U.S., so we have waste pickers here in the U.S. Every morning I have people going, uh, my local waste pickers coming through our alley where all of our trash, trash bins and recycling bins are, and they're picking through looking for 
uh, soda bottles, looking for water bottles, looking for aluminum, anything that can sell into the local recycling economy here. Uh, and that's, that's the same idea of what's happening on an international scale. Now, it differs from country to country, from community to community on how waste pickers are organized, how they operate. And what I, what I was seeing in Indonesia, uh, I was in East Java, uh, that photo you just showed was on the other side of Java, um, Jakarta. I was in the Surabaya area. Uh, but waste pickers essentially are digging through uh, trash looking for plastics or items of value. Uh, so they're looking for, for items of value that they can sell back into the recycling, the local recycling, informal recycling economy most of the times to try to earn around $1.50 to $2 a day on average. Uh, to be supplemental income to get them through for their daily livelihood and their daily needs. So, so that, so, I mean, one that's so heavy, right? Like we all, yeah. uh, I mean, to even to just pause for a second and recognize that this is what someone is doing just to survive and to get by is picking through the trash that exists now in Jakarta, you know, which is over here, you know, um, like you said, the far end, you were over here in Surabaya, uh, Jakarta. I mean, I imagine a lot of that waste is coming from that city. That's a huge city. I think I'm, 11 million people live there. Yeah, right. So it's so a that, big city. That's a big city. But you were out here in Surabaya and it's a much different size city, correct? Much smaller? So it's, it's still, it's a big city, not as big, but what they're dealing with in the Surabaya area is they're dealing with a lot of waste imports from around the world and mainly from, from the U.S. and from the Western world. So basically and, like walk me through, I mean, some people who listen to this podcast will know this, we've gone over it, but some people might not. And even still, I mean, I feel like you can't drill this, this message home enough. So it's, I do my part here in Venice, right? I like recycle, put my stuff in the bins. I'm kind of like, cool, did my job. And then, yeah. and like, I know it goes to a recycling center and what happens from there? It basically, what? Yeah. You know, well, first it's, it's interesting to hear you say, you know, I did my part and this is how majority of us think, right? We have been systematically trained to willingly participate in these systems created by the plastics industry to make us think if we're putting something in a recycling bin, we're doing our part. Now, the reality is, is this is a cliche thing to say, but there is no way. What I was seeing in, in the Surabaya area is where a way actually is. So just to give you an example, to walk you down that, that path. So in the Surabaya area, there's over 20 paper and cardboard recyclers. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I just had to laugh my face right there. Well, um, those, it's a pretty yeah. funny photo of you. For those of you listening, I really encourage you to check out the video for this portion alone of Doshi just being shocked Gosh. by Trader Joe's plastic. Yeah. Trader Joe's M&M's. Yeah. And an so M&M's. I'll tell you a little bit on, on, this is a great photo. So leave this up for a quick second because okay. this is a great photo to explain. So here in, in LA, uh, for example, we have mixed recycling. So you put your paper, your aluminum, your glass, your plastic, your cardboard, all into one bin. So when your waste hauler comes and picks that up with your trash or recycling truck, it's then sent to what's called a material recovery facility, which is basically like something out of a, out of a movie or a cartoon where you see all these conveyor belts moving super fast, thousands of pieces of your recyclables going down those conveyor belts uh, per second, per minute. Um, and they have these things called 
optical sorters, which I like to describe it as like robot, laser robot eyes that are looking for different shapes, different sizes of materials, and it's puff of airs that then blow them into different bins so they can be, uh, they can be put together with their same material type. Now, as but you that's, can see- these, that's the fancy ones, Doshi. Those like, are the fan, you're absolutely right. Those like, are the fancy ones. So in Santa Monica, just for context, Santa Monica, one of the most you know, green cities out there, uh, they have a human sort. So same conveyor belt, well, one conveyor belt, but it's just people picking out your plastic and your cans. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And uh, the material recovery facilities I've been to have a mix of both. So they have both people, they have the optical sorters. And these packages you see that I'm holding here for your viewers, do you notice that when you take the contents out of these packages, they're flat? So there's no more cashews in the Trader Joe's one. There's no more M&Ms in that M&M's package. You take it out, now those are flat. And those robot eyes, those optical sorters, view those plastics as flat like paper and cardboard. So those are all bundled together in a bale that can weigh upwards of 2,000, so a ton to maybe a metric ton, 2,200 pounds. And this plastic, along with the cardboard and paper, bale that it's mainly in. It's supposed to be all paper and cardboard because it's being sent over to the East Surabaya area uh, where there's over 20 paper cardboard recyclers. So these bales are getting from the States are getting sent to East Java where the paper and cardboard recyclers are expecting to get majority all paper and cardboard, but they're getting upwards of 30 to 40% contamination with plastic. Now they call it contamination. Yeah, this is all plastic. In this photo, Reese, this is all plastic, all plastic, mainly packaging, that came from recycling bins in the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and that was all shipped over in paper and cardboard bales. And for those listening, this is a photo of Doshi standing, and Doshi, you're six foot, six one or so? Yeah, I'm six foot, and this thing is maybe 20, 25 feet long. Yeah. yeah. And the, the pile of plastic is 25 feet long and a good, I don't know, five feet over your head. Uh, yeah. It's, it's double overhead in the <laughs> worst possible way. Um, double overhead in the worst possible way. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately people kind of live in and amongst and around this, a photo of a little girl, you know, just can kinda... I tell a story about this? A real yeah. quick story. This Please. is a, this is a really good, good photo of a waste picker community. As soon as I landed in East Java, our colleague, uh, Pri Arasandi, who's one of the most brilliant activists I've ever met on planet Earth, one of the most amazing humans I've ever met. And he's the co-founder of Ecoton, which is uh, ecological, non uh, ecological preservation nonprofit in East Java. And one of their main focuses is plastic pollution. So as soon as he picked me up from the airport, this is the first field we stopped in. It's a farmer's field, an open field where the paper companies come and they just dump the plastic because they don't want it. They're a paper and cardboard recycling facility. So they basically pay the farmer uh, money so they can dump the plastic on their land. Now, all these people in the background, they're all waste local waste pickers. So they come here, uh, many of them come with their family. As you can see, this little girl in the yellow, and then there's kids in the back there. And the whole family picks through this trash. Now, what they're doing is looking for those plastics of value to try to sell into the informal recycling economy. And something that really, this photo means so much to me, because if you can see at the bottom uh, 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 by the girl's feet, there's a cheesecake factory bag right there. And I noticed that when I got back from it. Yeah, right there. 
I noticed that when I got back from Indonesia and I was in, going for a drive in Santa Monica a few weeks later and I was at a stoplight and somebody crosses the crosswalk and they're holding a cheesecake factory bag. And it was just full force hit me that this bag very well could have originated from Santa Monica, California, right down the street from me. And as you can see, this girl's smiling. The people in the back, they're all chatting with each other. Now, these people weren't necessarily, like, they were happy. They, this is how they're making their livelihood, right? This has been happening for decades, decades. So this is a shifting baseline for people living in this community where this has been a form for them to make daily income and survive now for decades. And it's, it's disturbing to me because Priggy, his daughter, was over at our youth summit in February. She's 17. She's never known East Java. She's never known Surabaya or her village without plastic pollution on the ground like wow. this and without waste pickers. That's so trippy to think about. That's so heavy. I mean, yeah. you know, we've got a couple other photos here of just of you in this environment and to see how broad it is. And I remember, you know, you shared, uh, you sent videos my way um, right after you got back uh, of some of the stuff you shot just in the car of, you know, dumps a, a, a dump truck full of trash in people's yeah. yards because there's no room for it and just yeah. the amount. And it, it's just, it, it really is overwhelming and staggering. It, it just kind of really shocks you. Um, I think one, what's crazy about what you're, you're illustrating around the waste pickers and, and that situation is that unfortunately because of COVID-19, at least in Jakarta, they are unable to work. Um, you know, the, the shops that they would normally sell to are closing up shop and saying, we don't want you coming around. We don't want to you know, get sick. So now they're losing an income stream on top of already having one of the toughest, hardest, you know, what we would deem, um, you know, worst jobs in the world. So it's a, it's a pretty heavy situation, but I think like the, the takeaway is really look at how far, look at how interconnected we are and look at how far all of this yeah. travels, you know, yeah. whether it's the thing you buy and the actual travel of that product to another country, um, whether intentionally uh, on a vessel that sends it over there or whether it, you know, blows out of your waste bin and ends up in the ocean and floats there. Um, look at how far our waste actually travels and look at the number of people who connect to it along the way. Um, You're totally right, Reese. And uh, something to add on to that, if, if viewers are interested in learning more about the interconnectedness of all of this from fossil fuel extraction to where a way is, a new documentary came out called, uh, just came out called The Story of Plastic, which is why I was over in Southeast Asia for some of the filming of that. Highly recommend checking it out. You can go on film. Amazon. Yeah, you can go on amazon.com. I know a lot of people don't want to shop Amazon, but you can own it for two ninety nine. Or you can go to storyofplastic.org and there's so many free community screenings from local nonprofits, from local school groups, uh, from local just community groups that are screening it for free now. If you want to participate in one of those, I recommend it. And uh, one thing I wanted to address, Reese, you brought up that was a really good point in regards to COVID-19 and how it's affecting a lot of these waste pickers' livelihoods, is that what are the sustainable systems set up for waste pickers on a global scale for if we eventually get out of plastic pollution, uh, if we create a world where plastic pollution is unthinkable, which is what we're striving for, right? What are the systems set up so they can still have economic livelihood on a daily basis? Right. So that's something we need to think about is waste exports, sure, super gnarly, but if we're taking that money out of, the, out of their pockets every day, what's it being replaced with? 
Yep. So it's this complex balancing act and there's no one silver bullet solution. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's similar to the energy side of things, right? Okay. Yes. Let's stop using coal and coal mining. Um, it's, it's a, it's a dirty, you know, fossil fuel burning, uh, source of energy, but there are a bunch of people who have jobs. And so how do we make sure that we can train them in renewable jobs? Um, and that's where, you know, we, Another another day, another episode. We go deep sure. into the Green New Deal and you know how we can move our knowledge power uh, further, um, so that we can do better for everybody. But I mean, I, I just think that the work that you've done, and I, and I have seen the story of plastic. It, it's it it really does do a good job of telling the story of the global South and you know how the situation affects them. Um, I want to move it along. We got to keep moving on the show. Yeah, I mean, let's go. Let's thanks do for it. all the knowledge, but like. I think the thing is that's that's so rad, Doshi, uh, and this is what you're known for is keeping the stoke. Uh, so, like, even amongst all this like really heavy stuff, you're you're still stoked. You're still smiling, like we've talked about. Um, we put it out to fans and said, "Hey, who's got a question for Doshi?" Had a <laughs> ton of questions come in, um, so we're 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 pretty stoked on it. So, uh, okay. right off right off the bat, one of the questions is, it's really. How does Doshi keep the stoke while he navigates his work on the front lines? That one's from Sasha. Uh, you know Sasha. Um, <laughs> Sasha, yeah. And then a uh, similar question from Marissa Miller. Um, how do you yeah. stay so stoked in the face of fear, frustration, and uncertainty? What, Two keeps, you, what legends. keeps you grounded, man? Two legends right there. Marissa Miller, man. Had a surf rider Cal Poly chapter, I believe. Yep. And then Sasha Calder, uh, the uh, sustainability director at Beauty Counter, two amazing women doing awesome things in the movement. Shock us to them. You nice. Uh, you know your your quick answer on how you stay yeah. stoked. When Priggy Arasandi was over here uh, for our U Summit, the last thing he said to me when I dropped him off is he turned to me and he said, "Doshi, because of all the pollution we have, we might not live as long as you do," which is unfortunately true. But he said we're still happy. And he smiled at me and it made me realize that if people that are living in those dire type of situations and Priggy has a good community, uh, if they can stay stoked and find ways to continue to enjoy the beauty of life through being happy, I got to do the same. Uh, the movements entrusted me to take my stoke levels and the, the knowledge I have and continue in the movement. So that's how I do it. I, I, it's, 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 my, uh, it's my duty and my honor. Yeah. I love that, man. That's awesome. We should just, we should just end it right there. Actually. You know what? I'm done. That was, that was, that one, that one got me right here, pal. Um, but we, we told some people we'd get some, some answers yeah. to the question. So I'm going right. to, I'm going to keep it going. Please um, do. From Sal Masakella, since plastics are at their source organic in that it is an organic matter, so to speak, uh, why can't we make them biodegradable? Sure. So it's interesting. There are, so there's a difference between compostable, biodegradable, and marine degradable. We don't need to get into all that right now. Everybody listening to this can Google that and you'll find some great answers or use whatever search engine you prefer to look that up. Uh, so there are, there are different types of plastics that are currently being either invented or that are being innovative innovated to try to help with the biodegradability or compostability of a plastic item. The important thing to, to keep in mind is no matter how biodegradable or compostable something is, is it replacing one single use item for another single use item? So although it might be getting rid of a fossil fuel based single use plastic, uh, what's it actually doing to fully reduce 
reduce the amount of items we're consuming, the, the packaging we're consuming. So for those that are interested in learning more about biodegradable plastics, there's uh, something called polyhydroxyalkanoate. The, the not so scientific term is PHA. Uh, so check out PHA and that is more uh, a, a more biodegradable friendly type of plastic that's currently being developed. Yeah, Sal, that's a great question. I mean, Doshi, that's a great answer to a very challenging question, I would say. I could go deeper, but I, I don't want to take 45 minutes answering that. Yeah. At the end of the day, reduce your consumption of all plastics, everybody, period. Um, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, we've got one from Earth Technologies, our boy, Rye Harris. With COVID-19, yeah. we're seeing more plastic bags and gloves, you know, as a result of all these policies. What do we do? My, my, my note to that is just remember that this is temporary. Remember that this is a minor setback and remember that we're working towards a new normal. We're not trying to go back to the old normal because there is so much wrong with the old normal. So whatever this new normal is we're working to create, we need to stay focused on that bigger mission and that bigger goal versus getting caught up in all of the minutiae of these additional single-use items that are being created right now. First and foremost, during COVID-19, we want to pr protect frontline workers. If those gloves give even the psychological effect to, to frontline workers that it's protecting them more, I want to participate. I want to help them out, right? right? I don't want to be putting this nitty gritty tit for tat struggle on the people that are essential workers at the moment. Now, getting to the actual science on are those gloves helping them more or not? It's not my place to bring that up and, and to, to argue that mute point with somebody right now. I shouldn't say mute point, but um, it's Ryan, I think that it's a, it's a bummer to see it happening right now, but it will eventually subside in the grander scheme of things. Well said, man. Again, these are tough questions. So we've got a few that are kind of similar. So I'm going to kind of, kind of bunch them. Um, so from ESO Clever, uh, SO Clever, ESO Clever, I'm not really sure. Cool handle. <laughs> are the politics behind the use of petroleum the same as pol the politics behind single-use plastics? Are the politics, can you repeat that one? one are more the time? politics behind the use of petroleum the same as the politics behind single-use plastics. So I think uh, like, is yeah, it all the same industry? So it's interesting. It's, it's really interesting. Is your answer uh, go see story of plastic? Well, that, that I, think, I think that's a good, that's a good part of it to get a, uh, a broader understanding of, of the issue. But the fossil fuel industry and the plastics industry are pretty much one and the same. And the easiest answer I can get to that is, Reese, what you were addressing earlier with uh, the reduction of fossil fuels being used for for energy usage for fuel in our cars the plastics uh, the the fossil fuel industry and the plastics industry are basically looking at single use plastics as selling fossil fuels to us just in another form in a in a temporary form of of the plastic on on shelves so when we're looking at the politics of addressing of addressing the issue they're 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 more one and the same but it's important to understand plastic isn't seen as a hazardous material, right? And, and, and when you're looking at it from a political standpoint, many policies regarding handling waste has to do, or handling materials in general, has to do on if it's listed as a hazardous material. You have uh, in California, 
you have regulatory systems and organizations that can go into a workplace and, and see if uh, there's a certain type of chemical there and they can shut the place down like immediately or remove the workers if they need to. But you look at plastics, it's not the same. We have pre-production resin pellets known as nurdles, which all of your plastic items, majority of your plastic items you've ever owned start out as. And there's spills of those all the time from production facilities here in the South LA area. But that plastic isn't viewed as a hazardous material. So it's viewed more from a, a discharge and a handling perspective when it comes to managing it, uh, it with the law. So it's a very interesting uh, perspective. Uh, I, I encourage you to dig more into the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act when you get the chance. Good one. Um, okay, a couple more. Uh, what is Doshi C being the big picture solution? How quickly will it happen? How can we help? That's from Elena, Elena Liu out in Hawaii. Um, and then how long until we have a real usable alternative to plastic available throughout the world from Lila.s underscore okay. underscore. I'm not sure. I can't really read that username. Yeah. Okay. It, anyway. Yeah. It took multi-generations. It was this a multi-generational issue. It took us decades to get us out here. It's going to take us decades and multi-generations to get us out of this. And there is no just flip the switch on, flip the switch off. But when I was standing in those piles of trash uh, in Indonesia, I looked over at Steve Wilson, uh, the producer and creator of the film, the executive producer, and I said to him, this is insane. And he looked at me and he said, I know, man, like, where was the person to flip the off switch 50 years ago? And he said that kind of in a, in a, in a joking type manner, but there is no on and off switch. So this is going to be something that's going to take many, many years for us to, to, to turn off, to, to turn the tap off um, in regards to how long before we have a different item other than fossil fuel based plastic. We're looking at moving towards more reusable systems. Now, what you'll see right now, depending on where you live, is a community-based system such as a BYO store. In Long Beach, we have BYO Long Beach where they're encouraging uh, customers to bring their own containers or there's containers there that are donated for you to take for free to fill up on household goods and, and body cleansers like shampoo, conditioner, household goods like cleaners and soaps. But do we really want to be lugging around 10 pounds of reusable containers every time we're going grocery shopping, anytime we're going to a restaurant? Right. No, what we're really looking towards with the ultimate goal is moving towards more reusable systems for the single use type packaging items. Now, don't get me wrong, plastic can be a great material in many shapes and forms, right? In, in our computers are plastic, our phones are plastic, medical equipment is plastic. Heck, we touch plastic more than we touch our loved ones, right? So we're interacting with plastic on such a daily basis that I don't foresee plastic moving out of our lives at all. Right. It might move to the point where it's made from a different, different type of polymer, Plastics are made from polymers, so that polymer might be a PHA or biodegradable based, based polymer, but that's still all in the very early innovation stages. Oh, um, uh, hi, Annie. Speaking of loved ones. <laughs> hey, Annie. You want to say hi? I think Annie had a question for you. She knew. Hi. 
Hi, Annie. Actually, how are you? Time, saying he literally just told everyone that we touch plastic more every day than we touch our loved ones. Oh, man. I don't know. We touch each other. Well, being a Whoa. single guy in COVID-19, <laughs> I, I haven't even given a high five or a handshake or a hug Aww. to a buddy in over a month. So, high like, five, I am Josie. definitely touching plastic more than I'm touching loved ones. Right? All right. For <laughs> listeners on the podcast platform, uh, this is the voice of my wife, Annie. Hello. <laughs> Here, speaking the mic. She did have a question for you, though, that, that I thought was a good one. Yeah, what's up, um, Annie? We have three nieces and nephews who are all under five, and we try to instill values in them here and there, but they're little. Um, what's a, the appropriate age that you can start to teach kids about the plastic pollution issue without terrifying them? And how, <laughs> yeah. since you have such so much experience with um, kind of educating youth, help us. Sure, sure. I It's interesting. I mainly work with like middle schoolers and high schoolers so I've luckily I, I, I luckily have not had to deal with too many kids at that age but it's a question we get from a lot of a lot of parents for sure and a lot of aunts and a lot of uncles and I think approaching it from a plastic smart perspective right so a lot of people like to say plastic free and when when you start to talk about being plastic free that seems like such an impossible task to to an adult and it would even seem like that to a kid as well but approaching it from more of a plastic smart perspective, I think opens up more of a conversation with, with young people for opportunity, which leads to more of that positive, like create that creative side of the mind of, Hey, here's a, here's a way of how we could do something or here's an issue. Let's create a solution together. Oh, you have an idea like creating a stuffed octopus, five-year-old, I mean, 30-year-old doshi. Uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and run with that idea, right? So approaching it from more of that positive angle versus the, the d total mass destruction of the world, I think you can dip into certain aspects of that for sure. And what I see with a lot of youth and parents is um, touching on the, on the animal aspect of how it affects animals in the ocean and birds. But what about from a human health perspective? That's what I see moving us towards more uh, great, uh, great strides in solution plastic pollution is getting young people to understand the effects it has on humans. Talking to kids about, hey, look at the amount of plastic you're touching. How do you feel about that? Focusing on the emotional side of things and allowing youth to experience those emotions, whether it is happy, sad, angry. Even as adults, we don't experience those emotions so much because we're so taught move forward create a solution on to the next thing without really processing the full experiences that we're having and the full interaction we're having with this human created material right so i feel as if if we are able to do that from a younger age then we're able to create more of that that new normal that we want to see in the world for for the young stakeholders mm. all right well we'll work on them gradually <laughs> thanks was, that, Thank was you. that a good enough answer yeah. for you? i yeah, hope i gave good. you something okay cool <laughs> yeah we miss you i miss you too we'll i want give you a digital hug yeah digital hug for sure <laughs> i'll let you guys get back to it <laughs> thanks danny <laughs> I told you we had a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and one more final question. Uh, Bretta Cliff, Cliff Capono wants to know, uh, where yeah, did right you on. learn to rap? <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, uh, oh, you can catch a, a, a Friday rap, um, Friday freestyle from Doshi on his Instagram handle, Gnarly Beach Cleaner. 
Uh, there are oh, two man. so far up there. They're great. Um, oh, so, gosh. you know, no, that's great. I everyone tomorrow, you know, make sure you go check out Doshi's Insta and, and see the next, the next rap. So where'd you yeah. learn? Yeah. Thanks for the question, Cliff. Uh, so when I first got my driver's license, I was driving a two door, a used two door Chevy Cavalier. And it had, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I think you should have to wrap your response here. <laughs> no way, man. I can't do that right Not, <laughs> not on the spot right now. It threw me off. Love the question though. Maybe next time. Um, but my CD player in that car didn't read. This is when like MP3 and CD burning was really like starting to get big, you know, when we were in our teens. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my CDs that I burned didn't read on my CD player. And I got sick of listening. Uh, I, I got sick of listening to uh, rural Wisconsin radio. And so I couldn't stand not having my CDs playing. So I just started beatboxing. I just started learning how to beatbox when I was driving. And then I'd get to high school and me and my, some of my friends, I'd start beatboxing at lunch and then some of them would start rapping. And then a couple me and a couple of buddies, we would, uh, we have a little rap, uh, rap practice every Tuesday and Thursday after, after school. And I just started rapping and then it's just stuck with me almost 20 years later. So it's just fun, man. I, I highly recommend it. Why not? It's fun to I try to it. use wordplay and rhyme, you know? I love it, man. I love it. You're using all of your skills of Stoke and style and, and, and uh, rhyme to, you know, push a great, great positive message. And it's really, Thanks, really man. fun. I appreciate that. Yeah, right man. On. Doshi, um, super fun to have you on the show. My cheeks hurt from smiling and laughing, <laughs> um, even while talking about some pretty heavy topics. So thank you so much for the work you do and for coming on the show. And um, we'll be sure to link to Algalita and to your Instagram and uh, the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act and the story of plastic in the show notes. Yeah, thanks, Reese. This has been amazing. I'm so stoked we were finally able to connect in this manner. And to anybody who didn't get their question answered, or if I didn't answer it uh, thoroughly enough for you, if you want me to take a deeper dive, feel free to shoot me a direct message. Uh, Reese has my contact information. Uh, if you want to email me, WhatsApp me, uh, DM me on Insta, I'd be more than happy to engage with you further. Love it, Doshi. Thanks, pal. Yeah. Shaka's Reese. Yeah. Thanks, Doshi, for uh, joining us this week for all your knowledge. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please go throw us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps the show grow, helps us find new people and spread the incredible information and knowledge that Doshi and groups like Algalita um, uh, provide to us. Check out Algalita at algalita.org. You can find Doshi at Gnarly Beach Cleaner. That's at G-N-A-R-L-Y Beach Cleaner on Instagram. And do go check out The Story of Plastic. It's an incredible documentary talking about plastic pollution from extraction to end of life. It's a really powerful film. As always, you can find us online at WSL Pure and hit our website, WSLPure.org. Um, we're going to be back next week with another great show. Please join us then. Until then, stay safe out there. Hope you can get outside and get a wave and do so safely. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.